0: Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here in the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do great work. I encourage you to visit the website and give them a call, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We've got terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. Michael Cannon is the director of health studies at the Cato Institute. Joel Griffith is with the Heritage Foundation. We'll be talking about the bipartisan infrastructure bill. And our U.S. Congressman Byron Donalds will be joining us as well. It is August the 20th, and on this day in 1619, about 20 Angolans kidnapped by the Portuguese arrived in British colony of Virginia and then brought by English colonists. They uh, bought by English colonists, I should say. The arrival of the enslaved Africans in the New World marked the beginning of two and a half centuries of slavery in North America. Founded at uh, Jamestown in 1607, the Virginia colony was home to about 700 folks by 1619. The first enslaved Africans to arrive there disembarked at Point Comfort in what is known today as Hampton Roads. Most of their names, as well as the exact number of who remained at Point Comfort, have been lost in history, But as much is known about their journey. <clears throat> and by the way, this is the uh, 1619 Project Foundation. They're saying that this is when slavery started in America. Well, as you'll see, They didn't come here as slaves. They they came as slaves, but were not enslaved when they arrived. They were originally kidnapped by Portuguese colonial forces who sent captured members of the native Congo kingdoms on a forced march to the port of Luanda, the capital of uh, modern-day Angola. From there, they were ordered to the ship San Juan Batista, which set sail for Veracruz in the colony of New Spain. As was quite common, about 150 to 350 captives aboard the ship died during the crossing. Then, as it approached its destination, the ship was attacked by two privateer ships, the White Lion and the Treasurer. Crews from two ships kidnapped up to 60 of the Bautista's enslaved people. It was the White Lion which docked at Virginia Colony's Point Comfort and traded some of the prisoners for some food on August 20, 1619. Scholars note that the arrivals were technically sold as indentured servants. Indentured servants agreed, or in many cases were forced to work, with no pay for a set amount of time, often to pay off a debt, and could legally expect to become free at the end of the contract, many Europeans who arrived in America came as indentured servants. Uh, in fact, Benjamin Franklin was an indentured servant to his brother when he first started his career. Despite the classification and records which indicate that some of them did eventually obtain their freedom, it's clear that Africans arrived at Point Comfort at 16 were forced into servitude, and in that they fit the Universal Declaration of human rights definition of enslaved peoples, The arrival at Point Comfort marked a new chapter in the history of the transatlantic slave trade, which began in the early 1500s and continued to the mid-1800s. The trade uprooted roughly 12 million Africans, depositing roughly 5 million in Brazil, 3 million, over 3 million in in the Caribbean, though the number of Africans brought to the mainland North America was relatively small, roughly about 400,000. Their labor and that of descendants was crucial to the economies of the British colonies and later to the United States. Two of the Africans who arrived uh, aboard the white line, Antonio and Isabella, became servants of Captain William Tucker, commander of Point Comfort. Their son, William, is the first known African child to have been born in America, and under the law of the time, he was born as a freeman. In the coming decades, however, slavery became codified. Uh, servants of African uh, origin were oftentimes forced to continue working after the end of their contract. And in 1640, a Virginia court sentenced rebellious servant John Punch to a lifetime of slavery. With fewer white indentured servants arrived from England, a racial caste system developed and the African servants were increasingly held for life. In 1662, a Virginia court ruled that children born to enslaved mothers were the property of the mother's owner. As cash crops like uh, tobacco, cotton, sugar became pillars of the colonial economy, slavery became uh, its engine, though the slave trade was outlawed in 1807. Just underscore that. It was outlawed in 1807. Chattel slavery and the plant- plantation economy it made possible flourished in the South. The 1860 census found that there were 3,953,000 enslaved people in the United States, making up roughly 13% of the total population. The conflict between abolitionists and those who wanted to preserve and spread slavery was a major catalyst in the outbreak of the Civil War, of course. President Abraham Lincoln formally freed enslaved people in the South with the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, although it was not until the passage of the 13th Amendment in 1865 that slavery was formally abolished in the United States. Well, close to 300 positive COVID-19 cases were reported in Collier County schools during their first week back from class, according to the district's coronavirus dashboard. Since classes started on August 10th, students and employee positive cases have been logged on the dashboard, which is updated daily. From August 10th to 17 students' cases and 61 employee cases, 234 student cases and 61 employee cases, were reported on the dashboard. So, uh, if you read the Naples Daily News, there's a lot of fanning of the flames of fear, quite frankly, going on right now. But this is after uh, of thousands, and I, I forgot to look this up before I started the show, but I think there's, if I'm not mistaken, at least 25,000, if not more, students in the public uh, schools. So, uh, 300 is not a large number. And no mention of how sick they were or hospitalizations or so forth. So, <clears throat> I don't think we should be concerned at this point. And by the way, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is racing through the state to facilitate the opening of monoclonal antibody sites. It's estimated that a total of 15 centers will be open in Florida by tomorrow, with more scheduled to open next week. Florida State Senator William Simpson was with the governor and the staff at the press conference on Thursday afternoon in Pasco County, where another site had just been set up and awaiting patients. Simpson said he had contracted COVID-19 in December and knew that the monoclonal antibody treatment was available. However, at the time he received the treatment, it was by doctor's referral only. I can tell you that the treatment works, Simpson said. I was feeling better within 48 hours of the treatment. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis told reporters on Thursday that this is currently a standing order in Florida, signed by State Surgeon General Dr. Scott A. Rivkes, that allows patients to receive the treatment without a prescription or referral if administered by an eligible health care provider. DeSantis said that there was some confusion about the cost of the treatment and misinformation has been relayed and he hoped that he, by attending the openings of the facilities, he could dispel the erroneous information being put forth. Referrals are not required at any state Florida, state of Florida monoclonal antibody treatment site, DeSantis said. These treatments are available at no cost to patients, don't believe anyone who says they are going to cost thousands of dollars. Sanders explained that after the President Trump's received the monoclonal antibody treatment in the federal government at his direction, uh, brought a lot of antibody treatments as well as it made available to everyone who wanted it. <clears throat> monoclonal antibodies can prevent hospitalization or death in high-risk patients with COVID-19 and are widely available in Florida, according to the Department of Health website. Anyone who is 12 years or older and is and are at high risk for severe illness due to COVID 19 are eligible for the treatment. Treatment is free and act for, uh, vaccination status does not matter. I just really salute the governor, governor for this move. This is terrific. For those that choose not to be vaccinated, it's nice to know that there's going to be sites available where you can go and get this uh, monoclonal treatment and uh, perhaps uh, avoid. Serious health issues or going, being hospitalized. By the way, the website, <clears throat> there's no uh, sites currently yet in uh, West Florida, all on the East Coast. Brevard <clears throat> and County uh, has uh, a site, but uh, the website is Florida 19.gov. Florida Health COVID 19, all one word, gov slash treatment. Uh, that's the location you can find uh, the locations and the uh, some guidance on uh, when to use uh, the monoclonal antibodies. Congratulations, Governor DeSantis. Making a good decision again. DeSantis said that Biden is obsessed with having the government force kindergartners to wear masks all day in school. In Florida, we believe that's the parents' decision, said DeSantis. Joe Biden thinks the federal government should come in and overrule the parents and force these young kids to wear masks, DeSantis said. You've got to wonder... Where are your priorities? And you're so obsessed with the issue, and you're so obsessed with taking away parents' rights, but you're not letting Afghanistan, but you're letting Afghanistan burn, our Florida burn, and so many other things in our country fall to pieces," said DeSantis. and he's absolutely right about that. DeSantis, who is a veteran with an extensive military background, gave his assessment of the current situation in Afghanistan, the fall of Kabul, and President Biden's having to return to uh, having returned to vacation at Camp David. As soon as he gave a speech on Monday, Biden took no questions after the speech, shuffling away from reporters and boarding a helicopter. He's asleep at the switch, DeSantis said, saying that mission was necessary in Afghanistan after September 11th, but that the U.S. should not have engaged in the nation-building or trying to impose democracy in Afghanistan. DeSantis said the enemies of the U.S. are taking note of our failures and will use to their advantage in any coming conflicts or crisis. He said they are taking the measure of Joe Biden and they see that he is not somebody who is capable of leading. I think we're in for a rocky three and a half years as long as he's president, DeSantis said. So interesting. I think uh, our governor is absolutely right about this. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host,
1: Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. I hope you'll check out the website and get some tickets, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Joel Griffith from the Heritage Foundation. Right now we have with us William Yatman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Cato Institute.
2: You bet. Uh, We're a think Mm -hmm. tank here in Washington, D.C., and we're dedicated to advancing the ideals of a free society at every level of government.
1: Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. So, William, it seems like uh, things are coming to a head now with regard to the infrastructure saga, but things have taken a turn for the worst, I think, for Nancy Pelosi. Uh, What are your thoughts?
2: well uh for the worse for Pelosi, and and for the better for the rest of us um, uh, just to set the table we've got uh, again two bills in play uh there's the 1.2 trillion dollar infrastructure investment and jobs act that's bipartisan it enjoys the support of 19 uh republican senators it entails 550 billion dollars of new spending paid for primarily by budget gimmicks, and it would add about $250 billion to the deficit. Um, There is also the $3.5 trillion Democrat-only infrastructure package, quote-unquote, infrastructure. So it's partisan. It includes every progressive wish list under the the sun. Um, It would be paid for primarily through tax increases but it would also add 1.4 trillion dollars to the deficit or it's projected to or estimated to at this point. Wow. So, two bills in play. And last week the big news was that the Senate passed the 1.2 trillion dollar measure and jumped through the first procedural hoop for the 3.5 trillion dollar measure. And then this week the action turned to the House. And as you intimated at the outset, um things are getting difficult for Speaker Pelosi. She's having a tough time Maintaining control over her caucus, um, in particular, there are, but there's a big divide between progressives and moderates who have mutually exclusive goals when it comes to infrastructure spending. Moderates, in particular, they like that 1.2 trillion dollar measure, and they're scared of spending anything more. Uh, progressives, they want to spend you know at least four trillion dollars. Um, so you know again, that's mutually exclusive. Uh, this week, the big news. Was that nine moderate lawmakers in the House, Democrat lawmakers, sent Pelosi a letter saying that they will not support the larger package unless they get an immediate vote on the $1.2 trillion, the bipartisan measure? Um, uh, To date, Pelosi's avowed plan had been to pass these things simultaneously, and that's in line with what progressives want. Uh, The long and short of it is. Speaker Pelosi only has a three vote majority at this point mm. in the House of Representatives. So if we've got nine representatives in her caucus saying, Hey, wait a second, well we're not going to go along with this larger measure unless we first get a vote on the smaller measure and we've got progressives saying, Hey, wait a second, that's completely unacceptable to us, that's a combustible Situation that potentially could sink the entire bill or sink both measures, which again is what I've had my fingers crossed for the last three months.
1: Music to my ears, William. <laughs> that sounds like a great outcome. Now, we'll see. So usually, these things come down to the 11th hour and the 59th minute, so we'll see how this all turns out. Pelosi's pretty uh, shrewd. So she's been around a while, and she's uh, this is not her first rodeo. But, I mean, uh, it sounds like it's going to be a difficult situation for her at best. We can only hope so.
2: We'll, and, uh, let me just echo something you said, a very prescient comment, which is this isn't Pelosi's first rodeo, and, and it's widely reported that we're heading into a weekend of strong arming by the uh, House Speaker. So uh, whether or not we, there will remain nine uh... uh... representatives who object to her current strategy this monday whether or not that continues um, uh, remains to be seen. and i should have added uh, to test things to, to test the waters uh... speaker pelosi she must be confident in her position because she scheduled an important vote on monday uh... that will bring matters to a head
1: so interesting all the other uh, countervailing that uh, Aspect of this, though, is that uh, she's somewhat of a lame duck. I understand that uh, her days as speaker are numbered.
2: To be sure, that is the 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 rumor certainly on Capitol Hill, um, and I think she's uh, eighty one or so. So I mean, it would make sense. Nevertheless, that's a dual-edged sword. Um, a lame duck has nothing to lose, and potentially is even scarier.
1: Yeah, uh, true. Although uh, may also uh, may not have the strength. In other words, to convince people to go along with her point of view because they know she'll be gone.
2: That's an astute point.
1: Yeah. So interesting. So uh, right now, uh, President Biden is uh, certainly demonstrating, I think, a degree of incompetence. I've never, I could not even anticipate. He he stands up and says that, "Hey, look, what we did in Afghanistan there was bound to be chaos, and we did everything right." That it's just indefensible what he's saying and what he's doing right now. He's gone off to. Uh, Delaware again for another vacation. <laughs> it's just incredible. What are your thoughts? Well, it's
2: not just uh, Afghan; there are broader indicia of incompetence, alas. Um, so it, you know, of course, what's playing out in Afghanistan. Uh, even if I ultimately support a withdrawal, its execution, everyone can agree, has been abominable. Right. Um, but there are other signals. Uh, for example. There was a political report this week that Biden has the record slowest pace for staffing the government. Um, this was something that, that pundits and media alike took the Trump administration to task for. Um, but we're not hearing anything from that quarter now. And Biden, again, is worse than Trump was or has a slower pace. Um, that's a big deal. Um, uh, another issue I uh, noted, I believe it was four, four calls ago, uh, his record in court is abysmal. Um he's losing these uh, nationwide policies are getting struck down at a clip that again, are on par with the Trump administration his early days. and And back then, there were all these calls from the media about how these court losses indicated of the Trump administration's incompetence um... So the long Biden, and short of it, Biden it is, administration. the Biden administration—it's not just <laughs> Afghanistan; it, it's unfortunately a whole of the government yeah. situation whereby he is demonstrating all sorts of incompetence, incompetence, and it's highly troubling. That was supposed to be Biden's calling card—that um, that he had this long experience in government and whatnot. Uh, and I'll say this as well: this isn't just—you know—I'm a libertarian; it, it's not just people right of center who are noting Biden's incompetence. CNN's Chris Kaliza. Who is about as mainstream a political reporter as they come? Um, this week had an article that was titled "Biden's Crisis of Competency." Um, so word is getting out.
1: Yeah, well, I, and I'll add to that: uh, you say that he's falling behind on his appointments, but the, I'm, the people that I'm looking at that are spokespeople right now up on the stage uh, are pretty unimpressive, quite frankly. There's Tony Blinken. I saw a video of uh, McCain, John McCain, making comments about Blinken in a nomination earlier as. Uh, assistant secretary of state, as I believe, uh, uh, years ago. The point being is that uh, they're pretty weak, frankly,
2: it is. It's not just that they're weak, and again, foreign policy isn't my bailiwick. But uh, I'll add this as American: there's no accountability. Yeah. Um, there, where is the day when someone accepts responsibility for a debacle? I mean, we haven't seen anyone tender their resignation. Uh, just frankly, as an American, uh, as a voter, as a citizen, I'm outraged by that. Just where is anyone saying things didn't go according to plan, and it's my fault? Yeah. Um, but instead, everyone is just passing the buck. It, it's rather pathetic.
1: Pathetic, indeed. Again, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. Cato, C-A-T-O dot org is the website. William, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Michael Cannon. He is Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: or of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. To the Bob Hartin Show. And now here's your host,
1: Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social, a new refreshing social networking platform. You can download the app by visiting the website ChoiceSocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with our U.S. Congressman Byron Donalds. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon, research fellow at the Cato Institute, I should say, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Great to be here, Bob.
1: Thank you, Michael. So uh, right now, uh, there's a, a study, I think, conducted in Israel, if I'm not mistaken, about the effectiveness and efficacy of uh, the uh, vaccines. Maybe you could tell us about it.
3: Sure. So these are data that an American uh, academic uh, looked at. They were coming out of Israel. We've heard about breakthrough infection. And if you looked at the raw data from Israel, what you might conclude is that the vaccines don't work very well because the, it, the likelihood of uh, getting serious COVID only dropped by maybe uh, uh, 60% or, or, or something like that if you... Uh, if you look only at the, uh, at the raw data on people who got vaccinated, mm-hmm. well, what that hides is that the people who are getting the vaccines are the people who, who are most likely to, uh, to get serious COVID in the first place, and the people who aren't getting the vaccines are the people who are less likely to get serious COVID. And once you adjust for that, and once you, adju- and things like age, then what you find is that yes, even though those raw data uh, appear not to show as much benefit as uh, pro vaccine uh, uh, advocates suggest, when you look at the adjusted data and you compare apples to apples, the picture that emerges is that the vaccines reduce no matter what your age is. Vaccines reduce your likelihood of contracting serious COVID. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, We're talking about serious illness where you might have to be hospitalized by something around uh, 90%. And so despite what you hear in the news about breakthrough infections, despite what you hear in the news, uh, uh, or maybe even more likely on social media, uh, questioning the efficacy of the vaccines, they do, as we've discussed before, dramatically reduce your likelihood of getting seriously ill from COVID nineteen.
1: Uh, so, Michael, just playing devil's advocate for a moment here. What we've found out is that people who have been vaccinated, number one, can uh, contract the disease again, even though, as you're pointing out, perhaps less seriously. And number two, they could also transfer the disease to others. In other words, they they uh, they, they are contagious. So, uh, to me, I think that indicates pretty good indication that uh, the, that this vaccine is not working, in my opinion. And uh, right now in Florida, the governor has established so far, and he's going to establish more next week, but uh, 15 monoclonal antibody sites uh, to be operational in Florida so that you don't need a prescription. You can just go to the site and get the uh, the antibody. For, uh, if, and apparently, it's demonstrated very clearly that it's going to reduce the uh, severity of the illness, and uh, help people get back on their feet soon?
3: You know, unfortunately, it's not an either-or choice. We have the option of both preventative care in the form of vaccines and uh, the option of acute care or treatment for COVID-19 in the form of the monoclonal antibodies and other strategies. Yep. Uh, a lot of people w- uh, would rather stay out of the hospital than have to uh, or or stay out of the doctor's office even uh, and the vaccines uh, make that possible uh, but for those who either don't vaccinate or who uh, do and get a breakthrough infection that could be serious uh, there are uh, t- treatment options unfortunately they do not appear to be nearly as effective as the vaccine in uh, in reducing the incidence of of um of severe COVID.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, it's Alex Berenson, I not had a chance to read it carefully, but Alex Berenson had a piece out today that's saying that uh, some of these health officials right now are not very uh, composed because the, if he said for the first time he sees Fauci to be uh, uncomposed in in terms of making his delivery. The reason being is because it, it's just not working. The vaccines are just not providing the the support and the health that they were we were promised when they first came out.
3: Well, but the, the reason I want to talk about those Israeli data is because they show that they are working. I mean, a vaccine is not going to be 100% effective in any case, and yet we have uh, been taking vaccines ourselves, giving vaccines to our children for uh, for hundreds of years now because uh, the uh, we understand. The, the mechanisms of how they work. They do save people from serious illness and death, uh, not just humans but children and not just adult humans, uh, but uh but but children um uh they are one of the major reasons why life expectancy has grown so dramatically yeah. over the last hundred years and uh and COVID nineteen is one of the reasons, the main reason why life expectancy of the United States has dipped recently? Well, I think we can turn that around if people are willing to vaccinate.
1: Yeah. Well, if full disclosure, as you and I have talked about, I have not uh, been vaccinated. I was very much reassured by this move by the governor. To he's encouraging everybody, by the way, to get vaccinated. Uh, I've, as I mentioned in, in my small circle of uh, associates and acquaintances, I've uh, seen several health issues as a result of the vaccination. We don't know they're causal, but they're certainly, it's certainly coincidental that uh, someone dies shortly afterwards. Uh, someone has um, um, multi-blood clots after uh, getting somebody has a stroke. It's just uh, very concerning to me. And uh, the, the probability of death or hospitalization as a result is pretty small. So uh, to me, I'd rather take my chances.
3: Well, uh, and a counterpoint is that once you reach a certain age, uh, you see a lot of uh, 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 a lot of friends uh, of the same age suffering serious uh, health episodes, re- regardless of whether there's a new virus out there and a vaccine for it. Yeah, and the um, the side effects uh, there are documented side effects from the vaccine. But the incidence of these side effects are very, very small. Yeah, The you, likelihood of dying from COVID is much higher than the likelihood of getting any of these side effects.
1: Uh, just playing off of uh, uh, one of the points you made, that uh, vaccines have been around for hundreds of years, I didn't realize that, but I read The Indispensables by O'Donnell. Uh, it's about the uh, Revolutionary War, and apparently cases of smallpox were breaking out for the revolutionaries. And, uh Apparently, the, a doctor went around and was giving inoculations for smallpox. I didn't even realize that they, they existed back in those days.
3: Yeah, and uh, there are letters between John and Abigail Adams uh, describing the uh, Abigail uh, getting that treatment, getting that uh, rudimentary or, or early vaccine for uh, their children. So, yeah, it has been around for that
1: long. So interesting. Michael, just really interesting conversation. I hope our listeners benefited from the give and take. Again, Michael Cannon, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Michael, thank you so much for your commentary here on the show.
3: Anytime, Bob. Great to be
1: here. Take Th- care. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, Joel Griffith with the Heritage Foundation. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network.
1: You suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You
0: Bob
1: Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with our U.S. Congressman, Byron Donalds. Right now, we have with us Joel Griffith. He's a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Joel, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Hey, good morning. Thanks for
1: having me. My pleasure indeed. Tell us about the Heritage Foundation.
4: Well, the Heritage Foundation is an organization filled with people committed to formulating and promoting conservative public policies, and those policies are always based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, and traditional
1: American values. Heritage.org is the website, heritage.org. Thank you, Joel. So uh, you wrote a column about the bipartisan infrastructure bill. It's such a timely conversation right now. looks like things are coming to a head. What are your thoughts?
4: Well, this this so-called infrastructure bill adds another $1.1 trillion to our growing national debt. And I think we've lost uh, track of just how much money um, these trillion-dollar spending packages are um but we're, you know you're, you're talking about adding you know $10,000 plus to to the uh to a typical family's tab that is a lot of money mm. but uh even more importantly is actually what's in the package and in the package um even though it's labeled infrastructure you actually see just as much money going to mass transit systems in places like New York and Chicago as you do money being spent on freeways and that's important um to note that you have this uh, this amount of money being spent on 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 mass transit, considering that most Americans drive to work so think about that if you're if you're a commuter as most Americans are, you're being forced now to subsidize failing mass transit systems in places like New York ones have already received multiple federal bailouts that's a that that that's a big problem, but embedded too in this initial one trillion dollar package is the, uh, is a requirement that every state, which is all, all of them receiving money, all states receiving money for from this package, they have to come up with the uh, carbon reduction uh, proposals, or carbon mm. production, uh, reduction plans. And this is uh, really a first step in implementing a, a Green New Deal that would attempt to transform our our energy uh, system here and uh, if you haven't traveled much most most of us haven't been able to travel much in the past you would have to leave the country uh, but you develop an, an appreciation when you do just for the abundance of energy that we have and how we spend less on energy here than just about anywhere else on the planet well this package will be a first step in departing um, from from that norm so those are some big problems with with this initial package. Um, but of course, the the big big concern is what follows this. And every Republican, every Democrat that supported this initial package, sixty nine senators, they in effect were voting for the next multi trillion dollar package that will follow just a few weeks later, because that package now will only take fifty one votes to pass, whereas this one took sixty votes to pass.
1: Joel, do you think they can get the fifty one votes?
4: Uh, well, there's a um, there, there's a good chance they can, um, as you know, um, the um, those on the left control uh, the Senate. There are a few uh, Democrats that are considered centrist that sometimes vote against the party leadership, uh, but there's actually a, a good possibility uh, that they'll secure those votes. And and just just for me to back up for a second, um, uh, when it, when it came to passing this this first one. Ah, uh, the first trillion-dollar package that required sixty votes because of the threat of a filibuster, and it takes sixty votes to override a filibuster. So they needed sixty votes to pass the first package. The second package only takes a bare majority to pass because it's considered a reconciliation of the first one. It's in, in effect, it's amending the first package. It's a, it's a it's a parliamentary uh, get around of the filibuster requirement. And so when you see these senators that say oh they supported the one trillion dollar plan but they opposed the three trillion dollar plan well they're trying to get credit for passing the smaller package but they want to deny responsibility for passing the second um and i think that uh, voters should hold them accountable and recognize uh that yeah if you voted for this first one you were lending support to the second one as well And the second one is even more problematic because it actually does impose much of the green Deal. that's uh, something that we know will add thousands of dollars per year to energy costs for typical family um, When you factor in, in gas for instance, and we know that that will reduce economic output to the tune of nearly $8,000 per family and yeah. um, to the indefinite future these are big 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 concerns with the second package in particular
1: yeah, and I, I quite frankly think it's. uh Fake science that supports the whole notion of carbon dioxide somehow being a poison and being bad for the for the atmosphere. In fact, uh, you know it 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 fuels photosynthesis. It's what Mm. we breathe uh, out—carbon dioxide. Plants breathe it in, and uh, they (laughs) release oxygen. It's it's one of the wonders and miracles of nature.
4: Well, even if you uh, concede that carbon dioxide is um, warming the planet. Why in the world would you do what President Biden just did and cancel the Keystone XL pipeline yeah. that would bring abundant natural gas resources in a more efficient manner across North America? Uh, why would you do that at the same time pressure OPEC to produce more oil? It doesn't make sense. And um, a lot of those that are pushing for this very radical left-wing environmental agenda, the real goal here is to centralize economic power in Washington, D.C., because even if our country were to go completely carbon neutral in the next few decades, using climate models that have been used by the United Nations, using those climate models, you realize that it would only have a minuscule effect on the overall warming of the globe. If you eliminated all carbon emissions in the United States, it would only reduce temperatures by a fraction of one degree we're talking about about 0.2 degrees celsius so the real agenda here is concentrate power in washington dc economic power and divvy out um to political cronies
1: absolutely and in fact if you take a look at this bigger bill the 3.5 trillion you have uh, uh national preschool national uh Community College, again, gets more of the indoctrination program to make our citizens turn them into uh, people who support socialism communism.
4: Well, in the second package, too, there's uh, an amnesty for millions of those who uh, came here without following our laws and our guidelines. And somehow that's being labeled infrastructure as well. It's truly bizarre.
1: And bizarre indeed. Again, Joel Griffith, he is the uh, research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. I encourage you to visit heritage.org, heritage.org. Joel, very interesting conversation. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, thank you. Have a good Friday. My, you as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with the Byron Donalds. He is our uh, U.S. congressman and certainly getting a lot of press, isn't he? I mean, he's on uh, most of the shows that you see. He's always a, an invited guest to come on. And I just really appreciate his point of view. I've supported Byron now for a lot of years, and I'm just really pleased to see that he's taking his rightful place in U.S. Congress. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692- 9840 and they'll take it from there you get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to friends of foster children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide and NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one it's a real win win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. And that's just one of the great initiatives. I hope you'll visit the website, thefga.org. We have with us our United States Congressman Byron Donalds. Uh, Congressman, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you so much, Byron. So uh, I want to start off by just asking your thoughts on what's happened in Afghanistan.
5: I mean, it's just a complete uh, lack of leadership. Hmm. Like We have no leadership uh, in the United States right now. The president of the United States is nowhere to be found. The vice president of the United States is nowhere to be found. The Senate majority leader hasn't said a word since he was talking about budget reconciliation last week. And Nancy Pelosi is throwing out these idiotic statements, which everybody can see through the light of day, make no sense, that are just purely partisan. Um, they're in complete disarray. And this is all while Afghanistan burns. And the only reason why Afghanistan burns is because Joe Biden, um, from what I'm hearing, did not listen to his advisors and did what he's been wanting to do for more than a decade. I mean, Richard Holbrook's diary is evidence of that, that Joe Biden has wanted to unilaterally leave Afghanistan regardless of what was going on. That's been his position Uh, when he was vice president. Barack Obama overruled him and said no. Uh, we're not doing what you want to do because it leave the place in an abject disaster. Um, I thought I would never say this, but Barack Obama was right. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden was wrong. And now that he's commander in chief, um, we have to deal with the fallout of his incompetence. It, it's That's really what it comes down to. Look, you know, there are millions of Americans who wanted to leave Afghanistan. I wanted to leave Afghanistan Mm -hmm. But there's a way you leave Mm -hmm. and you know the way I always talk about it is like if you sell your house But you don't pack your furniture. That's a bad way to leave your house (laughs) Like simple stuff could have been done over there things that don't don't take a vast experience of foreign policy The way the media tried to tell us what Joe Biden had it only really takes common sense None of that happened because Joe Biden is an ideologue and he's actually not that bright and that's what that's the price we pay as a country when we have poor leadership. We've seen poor what ha, what happens to organizations and countries in the poor leadership and now we're getting a taste in the United States and this is the result.
1: Yeah, you know, I watched the uh, press conference for uh, uh Miley and uh, the uh, the other guy, I forgot his name. In a, in a, in any event, boy, it was pretty clear to me that they are uncomfortable being up there talking and making but really excuses for uh, the President of the United States. I think they were probably not for uh, what uh, ended up happening and And what really disturbs me is that the number one priority should get American citizens out of the country, out of Afghanistan safely. And uh, they've already said that you know we're not uh, that's not the priority we want <laughs> it's, I just can't believe that's happening.
5: Well, I can, and the reason why is because if you're going to prioritize getting Americans out, what needs to happen now is that you have to have an evacuating force of troops to go through Afghanistan, mm-hmm. the entire country. We have Americans that are scattered through all these different provinces. The, uh, the Taliban has set up checkpoints in every province, not to mention the multiple checkpoints in Kabul itself. Um, you have Afghans who are trying to get out of the country. And so you have what you have built up at all these roadblocks it's making it difficult for americans to get through the british and the french have deployed their troops through afghanistan to go pull get their citizens out the american uh, you know we have not there's a the reason why we've not done that is because joe biden hasn't given the order yeah. if we said we're going to move twenty thousand troops in to go secure our citizens and get them to the kabul airport to get them out we could do that and probably effectuate it in a week's time. Right. Joe Biden has not given the order. This is the problem. Because he is nowhere to be seen. He's not talking to many people. He hasn't really talked to our allies. I mean he's might have talked to Angela Merkel. And let me for real quick. For our allies in NATO who were sick of Donald Trump, even what I'm hearing right now is they didn't want Donald Trump back as, as president because Donald Trump actually made them step up. <laughs> Price. But now they're looking at this like, geez, we wish this guy was in charge. So at least he was decisive and actually looked at events on the ground and made the right decision, even though I may not have liked them. Right. And uh, unfortunately, so much of our politics in our country right now, on the left in particular, is, well, I don't really like how you make me feel. I'm watching news coverage this morning. Like When you see these, Im- these, you see these images, how do they make you feel? Well, nobody cares about your feelings. <laughs> yeah. How is it effective not only for America's foreign policy, America's image around the world, which I thought the left cared so much about, and also what does it mean for the people who laid their lives on the line to help our troops in harm's way in a battlefield halfway across the globe? Yeah. Because that's the other part that people aren't spending a lot of time on, even though I want Americans, I want Americans out of there as fast as possible. But you have Afghans who not only laid their lives on the line they laid the lives of their families on the line to assist us in their country and if we turn our back on them mm-hmm. why would any other group of people trust us to have their back when obviously we're not going to have theirs it creates a major major damaging uh a situation for not just foreign policy right now but for foreign policy in the future and look i'm not a I'm not a, a Liz Cheney type. I don't want to go fight wars all over the place. I'm not Lindsey Graham. I, that's not my position when it comes to foreign policy, Bob. You and I have talked about that. I don't know how long over, over the years. Right. But you cannot sit in a vacuum and assume that we're never going to have to enter a foreign theater again. And if we have to go into an another, another engagement across the globe, why would anybody want to be supportive of us if this is how we're going to treat you on the, on the way out the door?
1: But this has got to empower the communist Chinese uh, with, you know, with regard to Taiwan.
5: Oh, listen, they're already run, they're running military maneuvers over Taiwan. Because Xi Jinping is looking at this like, man, this guy's soft. So now we're going to do what we want with Taiwan. Yeah. I had a dinner with the, with the Taiwanese ambassador about a month ago. She was already concerned about the way China was flexing its muscle. That has only increased um, by what I'm being told, there are three pieces of our military aircraft that we left at Bagram Airfield, which I've made no sense to me whatsoever. That's already been flown out of the country to parts unknown that that weaponry is probably being examined by our adversaries and our enemies across the globe. I mean, this is a complete cluster.
1: Oh, my goodness. complete. Yeah, totally. Byron, just to change a topic, so right sure. now we have the uh, specter of the infrastructure bill being voted on by the House. Apparently Nancy Pelosi is calling, calling a special session getting everybody back next week. Could be a vote on Monday. Wanted to get your thoughts.
5: Yeah, we're going back next week because she's trying to find a way to vote for this uh, this infrastructure bill. What I'm being told is that they're actually tying the two bills together, the infrastructure bill and the, and the instructions for this budget reconciliation. A 3.5 trillion dollar bill which bernie sanders is going to write uh, full stop bernie sanders is going to write this yeah that's all anybody needs to know yeah the second thing is is that what we're looking at right now is that the estimates are this will be about 68 trillion dollars in spending over the next decade 68 trillion if you assume that our federal budget should be four trillion a year then that you're talking about 40 trillion dollars over 10 years they want to spend $68 trillion over a decade. Like, this is insane. Not to mention that in the bill, they have amnesty in that bill. In the bill, there's anywhere from $1.8 trillion to $3.5 trillion in tax increases over a decade. And if you think that's just all going to be on the rich, you are fooling yourself. You don't understand economics because that's going to impact prices. It's going to impact wages. It's going to impact other benefits that do impact working families in our country. Um the one shining light, if you will, in all of this is that the Democrats in, in the Democrat leadership is in complete disarray because of the previous topic, Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden has no credibility anywhere. Um, and they only have a three vote majority in the House. That's where we are right now. And there are, you know, the five or six moderate Democrats are writing letters to Pelosi expressing concern about tying this all together. Meanwhile, the squad and the progressives, they want it all tied together and they're threatening that they will not vote for it if it's not all tied together. So we're going to see what's going to happen with this thing. But this, this bill is a disaster. And look, I know everybody's focused on Afghanistan, but I will not forget the nineteen Republicans in the Senate mm-hmm. that put us in this place because they tried to give Joe Biden some win on bipartisanship. Because in look in spite of what's happening around the world, how does that ridiculous vote look now?
1: Yeah. My my assumption was they were they were trying to uh, garner support because they're being quote unquote bipartisan and not not being obstructionist. But I, t- I tell you, it's just so sad that that this is happening right now. Uh, any predictions?
5: I, I don't know. Can't even predict it. This the the town D C is nuts. You know, there's no way to predict what's going to happen because um, you, you just don't know what sweetener is going to get dropped in at the last minute to move a moderate democrat to be in support you you just have no idea
1: yeah Uh, finally but just a word on immigration any thoughts
5: um the border's wide open yeah the border remains wide open joe biden has not changed anything in spite of what's happening around the world in spite of the fact that we know that there are people who want to do us harm who are coming in our border illegally through the southern border um what I can say is that the concern about terror elements coming across our border is real
1: mm-hmm.
5: and it is greater than people think that it is.
1: Yeah. Unbelievable. Byron Donald. I mean,
5: I'm, I'm beside myself on all this, Bob, because this is just leadership. Yeah.
1: That's what this is. Absolutely. Byron Donald's again, our United States representative, just so proud of what you're accomplishing up there. Byron. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thanks for having me, Bob. You have a great day. You as well. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Uh, On uh, Monday, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, as we always do for the last 13 or 14 years. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com and author of several books, mainly about past presidents. And we'll be talking about current global events. Jim McTagg is former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of A Couple of Great Murder Mysteries. We'll visit with Jim, as well as Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, terrific organization for uh, kids high school and college age. I hope you check out FEE.org. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.